Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for coming back again this week. You are watching On the Town with Tanya, and I am your host, and here with me is also my co-host, Richard Adamson II. Um, how you doing over there? You all right? Wonderful, wonderful. God bless you all. All right. And so tonight's guest, well, today's guest, because we're, we're not on night yet, uh, in his own words, he's referred to as the comedy's king of New York. He, is, mm -hmm. he has headlined his own uh, comedy shows, tours, and made many appearances on shows I'm sure you've seen on BET Comic View, HBO Snaps, and Def Comedy Jam. You could also find him hosting at New York's, uh, excuse me, Saturday night, New York's 98.7 Kiss FM Morning Show. Please welcome Talent. Hey. What up, guys? What's good with you? How are Mount you? Vernon in the building. Money earning, Mount Vernon in the building, four square. That's right. Money earning, gotta have the money. <laughs> Listen, I always think since you did that, I always see everybody. Is that like um, what do you call those clubs? The not AKAs for the guys. You guys sorority men's. What's the men's for the? Uh, no, no. I just threw. I just throw the four up because our four? town is a small town, four okay. square miles. Oh, so it's, it's literally four square miles. But we like four, like bro, man, from the fifth floor. But he put up four. <laughs> I can find out how many square miles my town is because I'm gonna be like, is it too many? Is it cats? I'll see if that works for me. Uh, but yeah, so so I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, no problem. I've always wanted to know because I see you quite often in everything, like literally, uh, dude is out here in these streets hustling, making it happen. Um, so how did you get into comedy? Um, I, originally, I was writing months before I took a chance for my best friend. He wanted, he, he jumped in first and I was like, you know, I heard he was getting booed. I was like, let me, let me help you write and come up with what to say and all. And I did that for a few months, mm -hmm. but then I realized, you know, I, I got the itch and I was like, you got to try it. Like you're writing you for somebody else. Right. Imagine if you do you for you. Wow. So I went on stage with J.B. Smooth. He put me up. The rest is history. Mount Vernon again. Yeah, J.B. Smooth. Yeah, Mount Vernon be doing it out there. Y'all got P. Diddy. Y'all got a lot of people that just popped up, made this whole cypher, this whole thing for themselves. It's amazing. I wonder what that is. Is that is it something in the water or is it just sometimes comes out? I think is what happened in the beginning is if you do the history of Mount Vernon, Mm -hmm. We're big. We're big with sports. Like we're the we're the only city that can say we got a ring, a championship ring in every sport. That's how deep it go, right? So mm -hmm. I think we everyone else started to watch the athletes like rise up and go to the, the big games and the big leagues, and then whatever else she was doing, you you knew you could achieve it. Like if you was uh, Eddie F mm -hmm. working on music and producing. Mm -hmm. He was like, yo, I'm good. I could be real good. And it, and it transcended to Pete Rock. And, of course, Eddie Ward on the street. Wow. Yeah, Benzel Washington. I'll be sure. Jeff Red. I could go on and on. Art Carney, Dick Clark. There's so many. Ryder, Scooty McRae. Ray wow. and Gus Williams. You know? T Nate Tiny Archibald. Wow. Yeah, I forgot. Mount Vernon has mad talent. Just like. I mean, I, I didn't even realize it until this year um, how much talent popped out of there. And I was like, what is it? Like, is it, yeah, the, time? Is it the time? Because y'all all in this little bit in the same age range-ish. So I'm thinking, like, is it the time? And that's the, you know, is it, does it make grit? 
when you have to, when you're in a situation or when you're in a place of a certain, that is small or, you know, does it create a grit that makes you grind harder or what it is? Well, I mean, I mean, I think it's more inspirational than creating a grit. It's like it, the saying that says, you know, if you can see it or if you could believe you could achieve it, that's real. Like we're, we're a creatures of visual mm -hmm. uh, stimulation and aspiration. So when you see something in front of you mm -hmm. and you see that it could happen, you like, it could happen. So it makes you stay the course, if you will, for whatever it is you're trying to make happen. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Something, because even, I'm trying to think, even Yonkers, Y.O. has uh, Mary J. and got X. And like, you know, I was like, wait a minute, there's a, like little pockets of talent all over. So right, right. to see what, but what made them all get it? And not, not just one, usually one makes it out, as they say, but y'all got a massive amount of people that just bam, 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 just cutting it up. So I love it. Does anybody um, ever like go back and get the other person type of thing? I mean, even though- All the said, time, all the time. Um, when you look at all those names I named, everybody was hooking everybody up. Denzel comes out of Mount Vernon, so does Leon. So they have that acting thing in common and you know help each other, whatever. Same thing in music. Hev's cousin was Pete Rock, yeah. you know, and before Pete Rock was Heavy's DJ and uh, co-creator DJ Eddie F. So this, this kept trickling down. You see Hev reach out, put on Monifa. You see Hev reach out, bring Soul for real through. Like, it just wow. never stopped. Even, even in sports, we still got a couple of players right now in the NBA and in the, in the NFL from Mount Vernon. Wow. Yeah. Money in her Mount Vernon. That's that's the spot. I, I was I was born in the wrong place. Sorry, Brooklyn. <laughs> the throw you under the bus. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to JB Smooth from Mount Vernon. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. That's right. So we come back with that. Um, sorry, sorry about that, guys. Our Wi-Fi sometimes that happens. Um, but uh, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. All right. How does it? Um, how do you? How did you find your own voice? You know, no one was um, that takes forever. That that's uh, that's probably the hardest part mm -hmm. of what we do because you think you already think you have a voice. You already think it is what it is, and it's never. If you the perfect thing I could tell people if you ever want to laugh mm -hmm. at your favorite artist, mm -hmm. go back to the beginning, mm -hmm. and the, the biggest dead giveaway of all artists is their fashion. Really? So if you follow what they wore over the years, uh -huh. you can see clearly this person was trying to find themselves. Like they didn't find it. Like I have a period of my joint where I was, uh, I mean, obviously the hip hop era, we all wore the baggy clothes. But right after that, I had this crazy obsession with vests. And I would wear, I had about a hundred vests. If I go somewhere and see exotic vests, African print, or whatever, like I had one, it was like the print was leather, but it was like that Planet of the Apes joint. You know that Planet of the Apes leather? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. I had the I had the Cornelius joint. But, but if you if you follow like a guy like me has been doing it 31 years. So I have a body of work that yeah, I got a body of work you could follow. And if you visually follow, you'd be like, yo, he used to do that. He used to do that. He used to do that. So you don't know when you find, you know, when you know you find yourself is because you stop all of that. Mm -hmm. You just this one thing and it never changes again. Yeah, you'll throw the tuxedo on for the black tie event. You'll right. throw the linen on for the linen party. But you as an individual will just be. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then that leads to my next question. 
above just be so so you see all the things going on now with um comics um people want to censor them kind of sort of and things yeah. people say things and then violence happens and like whoa uh what's your thoughts on on um on the way things are well the audience perceiving um comedy today as far as like you know i can't believe you talked about her shape head or i can't believe you talked about rape or whatever the no-nos are in comedy what's your thoughts on that well i think it's a lot first of all my whole thing was built on my slogan my slogan is a classic slogan yes. don't take none of this stuff personal it's just comedy right that's how that's how your mind frame should be when you go and see no it's going to be comedy now what I will say, there is a difference in comics and comedians. Mm -hmm. I myself happen to be born a natural comedian. Okay. A comic can learn this. Okay. He can study it like a, being a mechanic or anything else mm -hmm. and study jokes and timing and become a stand-up on stage. But a true comedian mm -hmm. is the difference. It's like if you drove a car. Anybody could drive an automatic. Right. Everybody can't drive a stick. So the comedian is the stick in the, you know, the comic per se is more methodical. It's all written out for you. It's all remedial. He's right. a comic. That means like he can't do certain things like improv wise that the comedian can. However, so when this climate change that we live in mm -hmm. and everybody seems to be sensitive and we're going to censor this and censor that, whatever the case may be. The funny thing is us comedians, mm -hmm. we don't listen to that. We don't conform to that. We can't conform to that because it goes against our very existence. Yeah, so I know. We I are know. the final frontier of freedom of speech. And then now you want to clamp the speech? Right. That's, what about, not, what that's about, not the America you sold us. That's true. But what about if you had, let, let's say if, if someone hired you for a charity show. Right. And they just said, just this one topic is off, off limits if you can. How would you feel about that? Well, you do that because that's different. That is... A specified event okay. that you are hired to do so you have to contractual wise you have to meet their standards they have to meet yours okay. so I, I do like charity all the time so i know that you know uh if i'm doing the breast cancer thing or whatever whatever there's nothing funny about breast cancer nobody wants that on anybody so your comedy has to be catered and driven and edited around somebody okay. might hire me to do uh to appear to school talk to the kids or whatever Obviously, I know where I'm at. I got to cater and twist that and edit that to the, this audience I'm dealing with, which are children. Right. So tailoring a show that you're hired to do is one thing, mm -hmm. but just being straight censored mm -hmm. to your POVs on things and your beliefs, now that's infringement. Right. You know, we just, it's funny you said that, this past weekend, I just had a show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we, we had this venue. We've been on a four years straight once a month on a Wednesday. And the venue we have been using for the last four years, Don D.C. Curry did the last show. And he had a segment in there that was kind of deep. It was still, he made this point. It was a funny bit. But the details in it was deep. He was talking about the Breonna Taylors. and blah, blah, blah. It was like a presidential joke. Oh, you want to fly out to the hurricane, but you ain't fly out to. And he's just naming stuff and everything. The audience loves it, eats it up. However... The white man who runs the place felt the need to call a meeting. Hey, man, y'all can't be blah, blah, blah. You know, I said, well, first of all, you can't sense it. This is kind of, I don't know what you're trying to do. I said, second of all, we got D.L. Hewley next month. 
the hell you think gonna happen then? <laughs> he's our he's our, our activist comedian. He's our Dick Gregory. So what you think he gonna do? He gonna talk about all the issues, right? So the guy came. He you know stood on his ground like, well, you can't say this and don't talk about this and this topic. I don't want to hear uh, Black Lives Matter. And that. So at that point, we moved the whole event to another venue. Gotcha. That's because we that's different. You didn't hire me to do to do a specific show. I rented your place oh, yeah, to throw no, a definitely. show for a group of people who paid to see said show. It's not for you. Right. I don't care if you don't like Black Lives Matter. I'm black. It matters. <laughs> right. I get it. So well, you find me a black person to tell you black lives don't matter. I'm a smack the hell. <laughs> find me that person. Exactly. How you that's black that's and that's you say you don't matter. Right, right. <laughs> and I, well, you know what? Go ahead. Talent, I, you know what? I've, I've been wanting to ask you this question for the longest, Talent, right? Taking it away from the comedy thing for a second. But I watched you and Heavy D do something amazing. I think it may have been on two separate events, but I watched y'all do something amazing that I don't think that you get credit for, enough credit for, or him. I watched you and him throw events that brought the entire 914 together. Yes. Because you know, you know, I grew up in the 80s, you know what I'm saying? Um, and you know how, you know, people think that the boroughs only fight. You know, my mother's from Bronx River, she's from Bambada's projects, but you know out here, because I'm from New Rochelle, how okay. Yonkers and Mount Vernon and New Rochelle would fight, White Plains would fight, but you and Heavy D did something amazing that showed the power at 914. Uh, when Heavy D would throw his events, the entire 914 came together in peace. And then I seen you do the same thing because I came to your, all your cookouts. I just, you probably don't remember me because I had hair then. You know, I don't got old. <laughs> <laughs> but but you you did that. And I was like, I wonder if Talent really knows what he did. Because I never really hear you talk about it. But I mean, you're not the type of guy anyway that looks for credit. But right. I, I, I be saying like, I wanted the talent know what he did because he brought the entire 914 together because I used to be a hip hop artist. And I don't know if you remember a, a rap artist, very talented. He used to roll with Pete Rock named E. Vils from East Third Street. Yeah, I know E. Vils, yeah. Yeah, me and E. Vils was coming together to bring, um, to do that again, but in the rap scene. And then there yeah, was a shooting, right, then there was a shooting between two of the towns and one of my family members was killed and it kind of nobody wanted to you know follow yeah. me in evil's vision so we got we 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 i don't want to say we failed but we didn't get it done you got it done right how does that feel have you ever have you ever thought about that because oh i think about it i, I think about it every day because i did it for 20 years straight mm -hmm. so here's here's the thing and, and goes back to what she said about us helping and putting each other on have did it a couple of times and unfortunately, you know, a couple of times, you know, you, like you say, you get, you get, he brought everybody together, but it always had to have some damper on it, right? Because the difference was, Hev was, uh, at his, in his time at peak, he, he couldn't really have boots on the ground the same way a comedian can. Mm -hmm. So when I did it, I had boots on the ground. So if my boots stayed on the ground, I'm always somewhere doing something, right? So when I did it, people drove across the turnpike from Jersey to come. People came from Rockland down to come. People came from all the boroughs to come. And then our people in 914 were close by and came as well. So 
they had all these people from all these other city, city townships and everything that kind of showed them how to act. So we all walking around each other. It's just sort of like when I go to, uh, when I see black people in Marvin's Vineyard acting different because they're around people showing them how to act. Like, so they, they, they take on airs that they're around. We naturally do that. We're human beings. So I got it from, I picked up the torch after Hev did a couple, but I really got it from being like worldly and national, seeing everybody else doing it. Everywhere I went, every artist in every place did something to give back to their place. And that's how I got the name. I called it the give back. Right. And it would go for 20 years. And I think the only reason I didn't do it, you know, have obviously came into fame way before we did. So that's the time difference in there. So as soon as I could figure out the, the business part of it, it was going to happen. I mean, it started from scratch where, like, just like you would throw a cookout at your house. You know, you go and spend a certain amount, get it started, and everybody just coming. Yeah, bring some pranks, bring some bread, bring some ice. You know? So it started that grassroots. And then by the time I did a few of them, I said about maybe six or seven years in, everybody that's watching that would come, this is community right here. Everybody be there, right? But their real job, they work somewhere. So I would meet the guy who who green lights all the meats that go through boar's head. He's at the cookout, just on right. some chill shit. He go, let me holler right. at you. Right. We're paying for all this shit. I said, oh, you right. know, we all do chipping. He said, hang on my car, bro. I like what you're doing. He called me. I work at boar's head. He said, right. all I need you to do, put it in an email. What it is you're doing here and what you think mm -hmm. you need. And I got the rest. I forwarded. Yo, right. dude, call me back. It was, we went from, our, our, let's say our startup thing was like 100 hot dogs, you know, 100 hamburgers. And then everybody should tell them to bring stuff. We went from that. And on year seven, when Boris Head got that email, my man pushed it through and did whatever he did in Boris Head. We started off with 5,000 hot dogs, 5,000 turkey burgers, 5,000 regular burgers, and like about 10,000 hot dogs and hamburger buns just from Boris Head. Mm -hmm. So then two years later, had come Pepsi, had mm -hmm. come CNC Cola, had come, and mm -hmm. after that, had come Stephon Marbury. Stephon mm -hmm. Marbury had just dropped the sneakers for the hood. Yeah. Remember he said, I'm going to make yeah. the sneakers real inexpensive. He seen what yep. we was doing. All of a sudden, we got an 18-wheeler come with a shitload dropping off, excuse my French, dropping off boxes of sneakers in every size. So now yeah. <laughs> we... We had so much stuff to give away from sponsors and so much food to feed people and drinks. We, the entertainment started to fall to a back seat. We found ourselves rushing the show because we're going to take up so much time to give away stuff to the community. Mm -hmm. So that, so I knew what we was doing. Um, not so much of the looking at it from the angle you just said, the POV, where you said you bring in all of the 914 together and all that. It was just about giving back. It was, I live right. in an area where nobody had nothing. We scratch and claw. So yeah. where's that big thing to give back? Because every time you turn TV on, somebody giving something back. Where's our Lou Rawls telethon? We ain't have one. Right. <laughs> yeah. So no, be because, yeah, because you know what? And, and the reason why I brought that up, because me personally, this is just my personal view, right? I don't think that you and have got the credit y'all deserve mm, because right. y'all did something major because you know, when 914 will fight each other, people died. Like I said, I lost family. And yeah, they still when you, yeah, when but when you did that, 
everybody was like, like even amongst us, we was a little bit younger than you, but we will come together and be like, yo, we can't mess this up. Because talent's doing this. He represents, when yeah. people see talent in JB Smooth, they see 914. You know what I'm saying? Just like for my town, in New Rochelle, um, people remember Richard Roundtree, Ozzy Davis, and Ruby D. Grand yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, Stug Stug Doogie uh, is my niece's father. Uh, DJ Alamo was uh, my substitute teacher when we was in middle school. Wow. So, yeah. So Shout out, to, shout out to the whole brand newbie and master ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. for sure. So, um, but I appreciate that. I appreciate what you did. Yeah, um, we we all appreciate it because I remember hearing about. That's how I think I even first heard of you. Some event you were doing, and I was like, "Wow, who is doing all this?" <laughs> and come to find out, it's the funny man himself. Um, I had another um, question for you. I saw you in some movies, and I want to see: Are we going to see you in more movies? Because you were really yeah, good. but this time around, you're gonna see they're gonna be my movies. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. um, you know, thank God for the transition of where TV and film went. Yes, I, I like this transition because technology has not only went from we didn't just go from 10 channels to 10,000, that's right. one thing. Mm -hmm. So, when you have that abundance of channels and streaming services, mm -hmm. they need content, 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 content. So, now instead of just getting in front of the camera and doing it like a movie and somebody else like Paramount or somebody make all the money, right. now you can own stuff. Like, we're in the process, we have a production company. Oh. We're, our first thing we're going to do is pump out these two comedy documentaries. Oh. And then specials and then movies. We got everything, sitcoms, oh, all that stuff. So, like I said, some of my friends already got their stuff out. If you go to, like, Peacock and Pluto and Tubi, right. and their stuff is already streaming. But they own it. So it's different this time around, which yeah. is, like, perfect examples. Like, when I started uh, stand-up comedy, mm -hmm. when you did TV shows like the Apollo, mm -hmm. Def Jam, BT, all that stuff, in the beginning stages, everyone was getting ripped off. We were no different than the than the record labels, right. because they would pay you to appear on the show. Right. Right. Let's right. say uh, Def Jam or the Apollo go, "Hey, come on, you're going to make a show. We're going to pay you fifteen hundred dollars." Take so right. now, the fifteen hundred dollars is like fifteen dollars an hour. It's the minimum wage. Right. Is what they call scale, which is just a pretty word for minimum wage, right? Right. But once it plays. Yeah, you get a few hundred dollars every time it play and residuals and all that, but they're getting the bulk of the money. Yes. So the unions got together and said, wait a minute. Yeah. So this guy was on your show. Mm -hmm. He did a set and you just paid him appearance fee. They was like, yeah. It was like, well, who wrote the jokes? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's his jokes. Oh, it's his jokes. Mm -hmm. Well, where's his writing fee in publishing? That's right. Boom. So boom, this big class action happened. All of those shows we did through the 90s, early 2000s had to start paying retro money back. Really? Everybody. Def Jam, BT, oh, yes. everything. Because you can't do that. You, it was They sued them, class action. I think I forgot how many hundreds of millions of dollars because it's been going on for years. Oh, yeah. And so it, it break it down between all of us actors and entertainers that did it because that ain't no different than when you turn around and be like, somebody stole your publishing. So right. We didn't even know that, you know, we're young, we're green. But so now fast forwarding, that's why I said this, the storm is in a perfect time because that's happening right now by all these channels that need programming. Yes. So now all these people who got ripped off can do the same thing I'm doing. Pick up a camera, yes. pick up a microphone, whatever. I don't care if it's a podcast with a visual. I don't care if it's a sitcom, reality TV. All these places are looking for content. 
All these places are looking for content. So wow. this time around, it'll be owned. That's that's brilliant, man. I oh man, I'm so happy to hear that because I know in the music world how that went. Um, but but then I forgot that some of the people in the music world own some of the comedy world too. So it makes same sense. Thing. But same thing. Same thing. Double eating. I, so you must have did good during the pandemic. <laughs> well, not because of that. I got I did good because we're creative in New York. You know how New yes, York is. We gonna so we was going with the flow. When they said you could come out of lockdown, but everything got to be outside. Okay, guys, all the shows outside. <laughs> so, and on top of that, the, uh -huh. everything, I always used to say cream rise to the top. Right. On top of us being uh, inventive and coming creative, coming up with these things, mm -hmm. all the people who started to slowly come back and book shows and open the clubs and all this stuff, mm -hmm. they went right to the people they think was the best or the funniest or whatever. So a lot of those other guys was just out there and getting their feet under them or whatever, learning. Right. They had to take it. They was like, hold on, we need... We need to recoup money. We need the people we know funny, people we know sell tickets, blah, blah, blah. Right. So that between that and the outdoor stuff, mm. it never stopped. Praise God. Oh, that's brilliant. I'm so happy to hear that because uh, I was wondering what happened to a lot of comics who were out there when they stopped everything. I was like, oh, you know, I became like a Zoom artist. I was like, I can do it in Zoom, whatever. Right. Why not? Yeah, some people's like, I'm not doing Zoom, but I was like, okay, I will. <laughs> it leaves me a little room. This is um, the safest interview ever, right? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I do all this. Nobody hurt. Let's talk on Zoom. So much easier. Um, so, so I know Richie might have one more question, but let me ask you one last question for me. Um, so, Dick Gregory left us. Um, he left us with a legacy of truth, honesty, uh, and meshing with the politics, right? And so we think about things, right? Um, Robin Williams left us with, you can make anything funny if you really use everything you got, right? But to me, and, and uh, Richard Pryor left us, it's dirty, but it's funny. So, so what is the legacy that, that talent wants to leave us? Um, funny is funny. You know, funny is funny. And I'm glad that I lived, I'm, I wouldn't pick another era to do what I did. And like, I'm 31 years in, right? I wouldn't pick another era. You know why? Because I live to see at the starting point where we, we couldn't get in these clubs and, you know, if you was black comedian, it wasn't good enough, or we got one black or whatever that, that stigmatized was on the comics. I live to see the transition while we, we are now box office. Mm. You went from the person they wouldn't even let get in and touch the microphone to being the person they need the most. Mm. You know, the, the black or African-American comic is the, the breadwinner now. Like, you can count on one hand the Caucasian comics that could sell arena, but we can count on a couple of hands, a couple of people's hands of the people that are selling out these venues and selling out these clubs and selling out these shows. So mm -hmm. funny is funny. And the minute people give into that, because I don't understand how you go to a comedy show with any apprehension. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? I, it's like me going to a strip club and getting upset. Right. That's Everybody true. say? Yes. Well, I, I, I had to, I, as <laughs> embarrassing to say as a comic, I had to learn that before when I first started because um, I had my hangups. Uh, it was a rape joke and it was bad, very bad taste. So that's why. But, and then maybe I was like, oh, but then my friend was like, girl, if you're going to be in comedy, you cannot. It's just like, okay, so what? Next, yeah. walk out. That's it, it. It's all it's all POV. It's all everyone's hypothetical point of view. And 
you know, even if it touches a subject that we might be, you know, it bothers us or hits home or because that was the white guy's uh, beef at, in Harrisburg. He said, oh, some girl went out and cried, but she didn't cry because the dude made her cry like that. She right. cried because he was talking about a racial injustice of a traffic stop. Right. And her mom was white and her dad was black and it happened to her dad. So uh, it touched her like that. Okay. But the white guy, because it was a white girl, we can't be touching people like that. So, right. you know, that's how that whole beef started. But yeah, it's like, I'm not going to like every joke either. And I'm a comic. Right. I'm not going to like every joke either. But what I am going to not do is crawl into my shell or have animosity. Right. I'm going to, when I go to a show and watch a show, I judge that show in its totality. Right. Not because I like that one little thing. Because, I mean, truth be told, we can always pick something out that we ain't like. I don't like the, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Old church ladies, I don't like that guy because he holds a beer. Right. The church lady, because I hold the beer, the Heineken, I don't like why he got a drink while he said, you drink too at the church. Here's the point. The thing is, <laughs> funny is funny. Right. It's all right. Funny is funny. It's true. That's it. And that's all. So, so Rich, do you have uh, one last question before I make him do his biggie impersonation? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. First of all, I just want to say really quick, Talent. Um, I've been married for uh, 13 years, and one of my favorite Sorry, jokes. Yeah. Of <laughs> no, no, my, my wife's a beautiful woman, but I have to say this. When, when you said that joke, uh, she's watching too. When you said that joke, that... <laughs> When you when you said that joke, you you were snapping on one of the brothers in the audience. You said this brother been married so long, he institutionalized. I almost, I, I almost choked to death. But what I wanted to say was uh, something that yeah, I wanted to piggyback over something Tanya said that was powerful. That with com comedians have transcended errors, right? Um, and I wanted to get your take on this really quick. One of the things that bothers me today especially amongst black comedians, because they really don't show it with white comedians. Um, the brilliance of black comedians is that when people are down, people are going through um, tough times in different eras, the comedians always help to bring ease. One of the things I don't like that I'm seeing today is comedians beefing with each other the way rappers did. And I think, and I, I was in the music business for a while, and thank you, Tanya, because she blessed me with an interview that actually helped us get more known. But one of the mistakes that we made, which I didn't participate in, thank God, was we started beefing with each other when we had a platform where we could have brought people together. I'm seeing comedians beef with each other. Very thankful I don't see you into that. Um, how does that make you feel? It bothers me because comedians help people relieve stress. We look to comedians, right. I need to laugh. I need, you know what I mean? Because everybody don't drink, everybody don't smoke. Some people no, 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 no. You, you're absolutely right. I mean, here's the thing, though. I don't feel any way towards it because I'm used to it. Like I said, it's 31 years. A lot of the stuff that you see now going viral, and you may think like it's new, it's old. The comedians always been beefing. Um, people always approach us like like when Will Smith smacked in. Everybody's like, oh my god, it's, it's crazy now. It's always been that. Like, we always take a chance. We always got to. That's part of learning to be a good comedian is when you finally get to a place where you can walk that line that I can pick on that guy or girl in the audience and we laugh together. That's a level of funny that I'm talking about acquiring. You got to be really good to do that. When you're green, you can tell the new guys because when they mess with somebody in the audience, yeah, it's going to sound a little abrasive. They don't know how to 
dance or tiptoe around certain things. So now you call his girl a bitch and he da, 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 and you know, because you didn't say it right. What you was trying to go was funny, but did you articulate it right? No. So now they're mad at you. They're not happy with you. Said like like her, they're waiting for you to get off. Who's next? That that was that was traumatizing. You know what I mean? So it's a fine line of learning how to do that. Now, as far as uh, comics beefing with each other, since the since day one, like the ultimate never-ending beef in comedy world mm-hmm. is somebody stealing someone's material or joke. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's going on a television show doing it, uh, whether it's doing it live, I, you know, people real. That's the most disrespectful thing you can do to your comrade. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say me and you are we're on the road. And the first show, I see you do a joke that's hilarious. And then the second show, I go before you, mm-hmm. and I do that hilarious bit. You on the side, like, what the? That because a couple, a couple of reasons. A, because I stole it. But more importantly, you might have needed that. So you don't know where to go without it. Yeah. So I, done, I did two disservices to you. I disrespected you twice. I stole it. Right. And then I inconvenience you and gave you a hardship and a harder way to go and you know she's a comedian she knows this happened to every if it didn't happen <laughs> unfortunately if, if no one ever stole your joke you corny <laughs> they didn't <laughs> deem your work still <laughs> right that's what somebody just said i think it'd be a compliment <laughs> i tell you i've had it happen to me a couple of times yeah. And the person was, well, they were supposed to be a known comic. I don't remember who she was, but it was at, it was at, from Gotham, actually. Uh, but not, mm. not, she was just coming on. I don't know who she, I didn't know who she was, but literally lifted my whole set. And it was before, wow. it was my first, my first month in comedy ever. And, and that was at, that was at a graduation show that I did that piece. So I was like, wow, I can prove this with the instructor that I made this up off top of my dome. But I just mm. said, you know what? I don't care. Like you said, it's a compliment. A, I was yeah. on something. Even if I didn't deliver it the way she did, I don't think it would choose it well. Yeah, because you'd be having me but, crying, Tanya. You're funny. Well, well, you know, here's the thing about stealing, and this is my favorite part. My mom used to tell me, don't get mad if someone steals something from you because they can't deliver it like you can. That's what I tell people all the time. You got, yeah. Or doing a joke. I may say it corny. Like, you know, when you first start out, I first started, you know, I know my friends were like, Oh Lord, uh, but but you know when you first start, but it's still my joke, so it's 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 true to my character. So if I say if Rich goes up and says it, it ain't gonna sound the same. It ain't right. Well, see, here's the thing: when oh. people tell us, when people tell us, uh, hey, you know, be happy. That's a compliment. Mm-hmm. It's it's a compliment in hindsight, but it's not a compliment if you're in it because of a couple of things. Right. One, you're involved in it, so you're emotionally attached to it. That's your baby. Your joke is your baby. Let's let's just call it what it is. Now, the, the biggest part of that is, this is also our livelihoods. This is also how we make a living. So if we're both making a living at the same time and you're stealing from me, right. that's bad. You wouldn't, you wouldn't tolerate that at any job. Yes. You would not sit in the cubicle next to the girl to steal your stuff every day. <laughs> it's something got to give, right? And yeah. you can't say, well, girl, that's a compliment. She liked your flowers. <laughs> she takes your flowers every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I'm going to look at it that way. Like, would you, would Yo. you, did you did that work? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, just all we could do is push through. This is what I was forced to look at it. Another way I was forced to look at it in the last, I'll say, five or six years. Mm-hmm. 
because I'm still in the game, I'm still vibing, working hard, and right there, boots on the ground with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible. It's 31 years, so it's almost impossible for me to go into a show and not see a little bit of me. Right, the same way I watch Richard for 30. These kids and these people behind me watch me for 30, right? So it used to be impossible to not see a little Richard and Eddie and people. And I find that when I go out, especially in my tri-state, it's impossible for me to see somebody and not see a little bit of my stuff, whether it's the material, the cadence, the timing, the voice, and it's whatever. So somebody made me look at it from a different approach because it was like, look how long you've been doing It's like, bro. And this was, I was like maybe 25 years, six years ago. And it was like, you have to understand, you've been here a quarter of a century, like 25 years doing comedy. To these people behind you, you are the blueprint now. Right. I tell you. You know what I mean? You, you, you're the blueprint. So you're looking at it because, again, you're still working. So you're looking at it from that level. Right. Meanwhile, uh, your people who your comrades and your coworkers who are out there working, you know what I mean? They look at it from a different level. But the, the historians of this, they can tell you better and give you the best advice. That's, that's a fact. Yep. Well, uh, I thank you so much, uh, Mr. Legend, for gracing us with your presence. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy man. And I know thank you, you guys. Uh, and I thank can you, keep you forever, guys. but I won't kidnap you. <laughs> Not yet. Hey, tell your wife what's up, yo. Tell her, yeah, I was, yeah, yeah. you know, her name is Keyshawn. Yeah, Give Keyshawn a shout out. It's just joke. Keyshawn, Keyshawn, shout out to Keyshawn. You're a great wife. He's very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yo, child, I got to talk you after the show, man. No, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll see you all later. Thank you all so much. I appreciate you. All right. And we'll yes, tell yeah. you all very soon. All right. Ready? Baby, I'm drunk. Know the cop won't love you like I do Baby, I know that we can't live in the past But the past 